was on. Okay, so our reading this morning is from Luke chapter 12, reading verses 35 to 48. Um, These words I'm going to read um, are God's word to us today, and they're his gift to the church. 2 Timothy 3.16 describes these scriptures as God breathed, and through them we are told of God's divine love for us. He reveals his character and himself to us through these words. And while we say these words every week, I just wanted to remind us of this truth, just how special these words are and how important they are to us, whether it's the first time we're hearing this passage or the hundredth time. There's Bibles at the back of the church, um, and if you don't have one with you today, feel free to take it. And if you don't have one at home, take it home with you as well. After the reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and we'll all respond together, thanks be to God. So let us... Um, speak from Luke 12, 35 to 48. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, He will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and will come and serve him. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, why are you, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give him them his, their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and will cut him to pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating, will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Um, Father, thank you for this new morning. I pray that you um, will remind us of the fact that our time here on earth is so short and comparison to returning. We pray for your return. We pray that life just won't pass us by. Um, Bless Andrews to come to speak on this passage. Speak through him. Take away any of our distractions. um, Help our actions be changed by your words.
Thanks for reading that. Um, so like I mentioned this morning, we're getting back into the, our series in Luke's Gospel, um, and we have been gradually making our way through this incredible account of Jesus' uh, birth and life and ministry and death and resurrection. Um, that's what a gospel is. Um, it's the good news of Jesus, and that's why it's called Luke's Gospel. Um, and the good news is, well, apart from the good news of Jesus, is that our goal is to be finished this by the end of the year. By the time Advent comes around this year, um, we're going to be finished, Luke. Um, uh, but it's a, it's, it's a joy to be in it, and we're learning so much about um, our Lord Jesus. And, and because it's been a wee while since we've been here, we've had a break for Colossians and for Advent. Um, I just want to kind of recap where we are. So uh, if you can imagine, um, the, the, this gospel has four main sections. Um, Ethan, if you can throw that screen, that screen up, please. It's got four main sections. This is not very clear, but uh, part one is essentially the, the start of Jesus' life, his birth and, uh, and his preparation for ministry. So kind of like his home life and, and then growing up and his, his baptism and all of that. And then part two um, is Jesus' ministry in and around Galilee, which is where he was from. So in and around that region of Israel. Um, and that takes us up to near the end of chapter nine. And then where we are right now is part three, um, which is Jesus then has this moment um, at the end of chapter 9 where he turns and, and starts moving towards Jerusalem, where, of course, we would see the, the culmination of his life in his crucifixion. And then part 4 is Jesus' final days um, before his crucifixion in Jerusalem, and then what happens after the crucifixion, because, spoiler alert, he doesn't stay dead. Um, and so in chapter 12, we're, we're in the middle of this third section Jesus is on his journey to Jerusalem, and, and we left chapter 12. You might not remember, so that's why I'm coming back into it. Um, we left chapter 12, and Jesus has been surrounded by a, a large crowd. People are coming from all over to hear what this teacher, this miracle worker, has to say. Um, and some of them are there because they have the motive of they want to see some miracles, they want to see what's happening. And others are there because they're genuinely seeking the kingdom of God. They're genuinely thinking, I've heard something. I know the scriptures. I know that I've been taught from I was a child that, that God is, is, this thing called the kingdom is coming. And this man is showing up and he's teaching about it. And in the middle of this teaching, Jesus uh, starts, or Jesus brings in this, this warning, this particular warning about uh, greed when it comes to material wealth and money. And then he, he also on the, almost on the flip side, two sides of the same coin, he says, well, don't be greedy about money and material wealth and comfort and all those kind of things. But then also don't be anxious when you don't have those things. Don't be worrying about it too much. And it's into this context that, that we get the, the, the teaching of Jesus that, that Lauren read for us, which is about his second coming. This extend, it's the first really extended teaching that Jesus does in his ministry in Luke's gospel about this subject. And it's important that we see it in that context. Because if we're aware and ready for Jesus' coming, if we know that he's coming back again, um, then we, um, we, we know that material things and money, these things are temporary and won't last. And, and so we won't be over, overly concerned about trying to be wealthy, nor will we be overly worried about being poor. And so being ready for the return of Jesus is the antidote to greed and worry about money. And we're going to come back to that later on as well. Uh, that's where we are in this gospel. I'm going to pray for us again. I just feel like we should ask for the Lord's help because this is a difficult passage. And then uh, we'll get into it. So, so let's, let's pray and ask for God's help. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you haven't left us without instruction about your coming again. Uh, and Lord, as we uh, get into what uh, maybe already is making us feel uncomfortable or worried 
Um, Father, I pray that you would comfort us with your words, with your grace, um, and Lord, help us prepare for your coming again. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, there are many schools of thought about the subject of time, and in particular, the end of time. Uh, one of the most prominent thinkers about time in the 20th century was Albert Einstein. You've probably heard of him, at least. Uh, you might have heard of his theory of general relativity and his famous equation, equal E equals MC squared. Um, and, and the theory of general relativity basically says that time and stuff are linked, right? That, that there is, the universe is made up of matter, stuff. And if there is stuff, then there has to be time. There has to be this passage of time. Philosophers, uh, and thinking about time, goes all the way back to the Greek scholars, uh, a few guys whose names I can't really pr pronounce, uh, Par uh, Par Parmenides, uh, he thought that reality is timeless and unchanging. While another guy, Heraclitus, he, in contrast, believed that the process, that the, the, that the world was in a process of ceaseless change. It was always in flux and decay. In the 1960s then, bringing it right up to more present times, a guy called Richard Gale, he came up, based on the work of some other guy, he came up with two theories about time, and he creatively called them A theory and B theory. <laughs> um, physicists, probably not the most uh, you know, creative guys in the world. Um, a theory says that events are ordered past, present, and future, whilst B theory says that the flow of time is kind of subject to our own perception, and, and it's at a, he calls it a subjective illusion of human consciousness, which basically means that past, present, and future all happen at the same time, and, and which one you experience depends on your perspective. Now, don't let that bend your minds too much because it's not really important right now. More recently then, uh, physicists like Stephen Hawking, and then based on his work, Brian Cox, not the actor, the other one, um, he, he brought the, the idea of the end of time into the popular imagination. I don't know, I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to stuff like this, so I've watched all his shows on TV. Um, and, and he has uh, theories about the end of the universe, and I have to tell you, they're pretty bleak. There is not a lot going on there. He says that long, long after all the, the life in the universe is extinguished, and long after all the light in the universe has gone out, which is a horrible thought, uh, only cold, dark, dense matter will be left. After that, what happens? Well, he doesn't know, but, but some other uh, philosophers and, and, and physicists and scientists predict that, that time is cyclical. And so after our universe is over, um, it's going to spawn a new one. All that energy is going to spawn a new universe and time will begin again. All these theories about time and the end of time that philosophers and scientists have, have pondered over and considered for literally thousands of years. Now, I, I love science and I think science it is brilliant and, and, uh, and it does a great job of discovering the wonder of the universe um, and, and the created universe, but it can't do that much to tell us so much about the creator. And I think that the Bible is far clearer than any scientist or philosopher has ever been about the end of time. See, the Bible teaches that, that history is in fact linear and that, that time is heading towards a final destination. Uh, this week, I put something in my diary um, for December 2025. That's almost two years away. Now, that feels like a long time away and almost irrelevant. <laughs> you know, it's like, I can't even, I don't need to worry about that right now. Uh, but as long as nothing happens, the days will tick by and that date in my diary will arrive. 
Well, the return of Jesus is like this. The return of Jesus is an event that's kind of written into the cosmic diary. And it is inevitable, and there's nothing we can do to change it or stop it. Um, Theologians, the more you look at church history and and different schools of thought, theologians don't often agree on a lot. and, And they have debated and disagreed about how and even when Jesus will return. But the one thing that the church and church history and theologians and scholars have always agreed on is the certainty that Jesus will return. Christ will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. That has always been the creed of the church. That has always been the teaching of the church because it comes from the mouth of Jesus himself. And the Bible talks about it more often than you might think. So there are 260 chapters in the New Testament, right? And the return of Jesus is mentioned 318 times in those chapters. In fact, if you break it down, one in every 25 verses in the New Testament mentions the return of Jesus. That's quite a lot, isn't it? And so we need to ask ourselves, as I've been asking myself all week, if the second coming of Jesus is, is so emphasized in Scripture, then how come we think about it so little? Jesus regularly spoke of his own return, such as in passages like this one we've just read. Paul's letters are filled with references to it. For example, in Philippians 3, verse 20 and 21, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, from heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle John begins the book of Revelation with the warning, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. Peter refers to it as our living hope, the appearing of the glory of God. Paul, again, calls our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. The Bible shouts about the coming of Jesus, about Jesus' return. So we need to ask ourselves again, if if the second coming of Jesus is so emphasized in the Scriptures, then how come we think about it so little? How come we rarely consider it? Could it be that we functionally don't really believe that it's going to happen? It's like that date in my diary for December 2025. It's so far away, it's so distant that it almost seems irrelevant? Could it be that it seems so distant and far off or even unlikely that we go on living like it's not really going to happen? And so before we even get into this text this morning, I want us to just think about this for a second, especially if you're a Christian. And if you're not a Christian as well, if you are a believer in Jesus, and, and take this thought away, take this question away and think about it and ponder it and answer it honestly to yourself, discuss it with your missional communities and friends this week. Do you believe that Jesus is coming back again? Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is coming back again? The core message from Jesus in this passage this morning is not just that he is coming back, but that we need to prepare for his return. The Bible emphasizes over and over and over again that this is happening. We don't know when and we, and we won't know when. But we do know that it's going to happen and we need to be ready. To put it very simply, Jesus is coming back, so be ready. I can't put it much more simply than that. Jesus is coming back, so be ready. Think about this. What if I was somehow able to tell you that Jesus was going to come back exactly one year from today? 14th of January, 2025. What would you do? How would you prepare over the next year? 
Or what if you knew for sure that Jesus was going to return a month from now? How would you spend the next 30 days? What about tomorrow or, or at midnight tonight? How would you spend your remaining hours? How would you prepare if you knew that Jesus was going to return before the end of our gathering this morning or in the next five minutes? In our passage this morning, Jesus is teaching us that not just that we need to prepare for his return, but by his grace and in his grace and mercy, he tells us how. Of instructions and warnings and promises. It's a somber and serious passage, but it nonetheless offers us the hope of blessing, the promise of a secure future. And as Jesus so often did, he uses parables to teach us how to prepare for his return. And in this passage, we're going to see that we must be waiting, watchful, and wise as we prepare for his return. Waiting, watchful, and wise. These are Jesus' three kind of main messages this morning. Jesus is coming back. We need to be ready. How can we be ready? Be waiting, watchful, and wise as we prepare for the return of Jesus. So firstly, in the first parable, we see that we need to be ready like waiting servants. We see this in verses 35 to 38. Jesus gives the picture of a, 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 a man, a, a, the master of the house, who has gone off to a wedding feast and his servants are left at home. Now, in middle, near Middle Eastern culture in those days, weddings weren't, weren't just a one-day affair, right? Um, they're not just a, you know, you turn up at the church at 12 and then you party till midnight and then it's done, right? This, the, the weddings went on for days, maybe even up to a week. And so Jesus uh, talks of this master who's gone off to the wedding feast and his servants just know that he will return. It's his house. Of course he's going to return, but they don't exactly know when. And so they need to be ready. And just to be clear, we are the servants and Jesus is the master. And his instructions are be ready. Jesus says, firstly, he says, be, stay dressed for action. Stay dressed for action. That's literally uh, the phrase, uh, keep your loins girded up. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, gird, it's, gird your loins. Uh, if we were reading the King James Bible, that's what it would say. And it means in those days, people wore long robes and to be dressed for action, to gird your loins, was literally to, to hike your skirts up and tuck it into your belt so that you could move freely, so that you could run or, or, or work or even fight. The master might come back at any moment and so servants are to be ready to open the door for him and help him with his bags and maybe even, you know, come in, master, sit down, let me make a cup of tea, I'm going to take the horse to the stable, whatever it may be. You might uh, recognize this instruction uh, because it's the same instruction that's given to the Hebrews way back in the book of Exodus as they waited for the, the Passover to come so they could be freed from Egypt. Salvation is coming, so, so, so tuck up your robes. Get ready, you're going to have to move soon. In other words, Jesus is saying, be in a state of expectation. This is happening, be ready. He also says, keep your lamps burning. See, the servants would keep the house ready. Uh, it wouldn't be in darkness. They, they, they would keep topping up the oil of the lamps so they, they didn't burn out. In other words, Jesus is saying, be diligent, be awake. Wait up for me, don't go to sleep. When I was a teenager, I used to hate it when I came home late and my dad had waited up for me. Because <laughs> if he stayed up for me, that wasn't a good thing. Like, I was in trouble. Even worse was, he used to, uh, he used to sit in the living room in darkness. Like, like sneak attack. <laughs> Surprise! 
I hated that. And, if I, and I'd go in and I'd be like, yes, the house is in darkness. So I could sneak in. And then, bing, the light goes on. You're like, ah, that was the worst feeling. But good servants keep the lights on. They keep the place ready for the return of the master. Ready to give him a warm welcome. Verse 36, Jesus says, be ready and waiting to to open the door. You see, the master shouldn't have to stand on his own doorstep and bang the door or, or throw stones at the bedroom window to wake everybody up. He's the master. It's his home. He deserves the welcome. Faithful servants will always be ready and waiting for the return of the master. They don't give in to tiredness. They don't give up and say, well, that's obviously not happening. He's late. He's, it's not. Let's just go to bed. Faithful servants, waiting servants, may not know the date and the hour when the master will return, but they know for sure that he will return. Listen, church, Jesus is coming back, and we need to be ready like those waiting servants. Jesus says in verse 37, Blessed are those servants that the master finds awake when he comes. And listen, this is the question that has been running around my head all week. When Jesus comes, will he find us awake? Will we be alert and ready for him? Will we be expecting him and eagerly waiting for him to come? You see, we need to live in this state of expectation. It should always be on our minds that, that Jesus is coming back and he might just come back today. We need to be waiting with expectation, with joyful expectation. Because if, if we know Jesus, if we are in Jesus, if we are saved and walking with him, we should be longing for his return because we know that his return only means good things for us. So it was Abigail's birthday on Tuesday and we had uh, her grandparents over for birthday tea. And as it got closer and closer to Nana coming to our house, uh, Abigail kept running to the window so excited. When's she coming? Is she here yet? Five or six times over the window. And then when Nana arrived, she ran to the front door and opened the door and welcomed her with a big hug. She was so excited. Church, if we love Jesus, then this should be our attitude. Are we looking at the window? Jesus, when is he coming? When is he coming, Jesus? Jesus, when are you coming? Is he here yet? And then look what happens, right? When the master returns and finds the servants ready and waiting for him, he blesses them. So no matter what time of the night he returns, if it's in the second watch or the third watch, that's like between 12 and 3 and then between 3 and 6 a.m., that's the time he's talking about. It's really, really late. The master doesn't throw off his coat and just collapse into bed. No. The master who loves his servants blesses their faithfulness. <laughs> you, see what it's, you see what Jesus says? Verse 37, he says, um, I say to you, he will dress himself for service. The master does the exact same that he has told his servants to do. Stay dressed for action. This is what the master does. When the master returns and finds his servants faithfully waiting for him, the roles are reversed. This is what Jesus does, isn't it? He reverses the roles. He blesses them. In fact, Jesus emphasizes this promise of blessing. Twice he says, blessed are those servants. Church, this is the Lord's promise to us. When Jesus returns and finds us ready and waiting for him, then the master will serve the servants. Jesus, the master, in return for faithful service, 
will serve his faithful servants. And this means that for us, for those of us who are in Jesus and, and living after him and, and, and pursuing him and following him, his return is not something we have to fear. It's something we have to look forward to because Jesus promised us that we will be blessed. If we are ready and waiting for him, then his return can only be for our good. The role reversal is good for the servants. And look what he does. He makes them recline at the table and he serves them. He's coming back to bring his faithful servants into resting and feasting. Two of my favorite things to do, I gotta tell you. Rest and feast. Jesus will give you rest. Jesus will feed you. And the thing is, we get impatient, don't we? We want tomorrow's rewards today, and so we convince ourselves that, that Jesus probably isn't coming back. It's like that date in my diary for 2025. And, and, and so we try and find the rest and the feast and other things. Be patient. Stay ready. Stay alert. Jesus is coming, and he's coming in his time. And when he comes and finds us ready, he will bless us. Our job is not to be overly concerned about the time when he's coming back. We don't know that. We can't know that. We won't know that. Our job is just to be ready when he does come. Jesus is coming back, so we need to be ready like waiting servants. But secondly, Jesus says we also need to be ready like watchful homeowners. This is the second parable we see in verses 39 to 40. Let me read it. Jesus says, but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready but the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, I don't know if you've ever had your house broken into. It's happened to a few people I know, and it's horrible. Like the idea uh, that somebody that intends you harm, breaking into the place where you feel safest, going through all your stuff and then stealing stuff, it's awful. But if you knew when a burglar was coming, I guarantee you that you just wouldn't leave your house and ignore it, right? You'd prepare the house. You'd make it secure. You'd leave the lights on. You'd set the alarm. You'd lock the doors and windows. You might even call the, the police and have them waiting for the, the guy when he shows up. Or you might do a Kevin McAllister, Home Alone style, and set booby traps up. I don't know. Whatever you want to do, you would prepare. That's the point. If you knew a thief was coming, you wouldn't just leave your house to be broken into. You would be watchful, right? You would be watchful. Now, the image of Jesus coming like a thief in the night is a common one in the writings of the New Testament. Peter uses it in 2 Peter 3.10. Paul uses it in 1 Thessalonians 5. We need to be aware that the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You see, Jesus is using this parable, this second little parable, to reinforce the, the first one. Be waiting, be expecting, be watchful. We don't know when Jesus is coming, but we're at least three quarters of a million days closer to it now than we were when he was born, right? And Jesus is saying that we need to maintain a state of watchful preparedness. In other words, what does that mean? It means that Christians should live in such a way that Jesus is coming back at any moment. So we're always on duty, right? That means that we're like the watchmen on the, on the, the walls of the castle, always keeping an eye out for anyone that would come in the dead of night. Now, I want to be clear here. Jesus is not saying that he is coming as a thief. He's not coming to steal and rob and terrorize us, but rather he's saying that the manner of his return will be the same as the manner in which a thief comes, silently, unknown. 
And to live in this state of watchful preparedness doesn't mean that we can't rest, doesn't mean that we can't have fun or chill out or go on holiday. It simply means that there are no times or no moments in our lives when we stop being a Christian. We are always living as Christians because that's who we are. To be ready like watchful servants is to live like we belong to Jesus all the time. It's to go about our work and our leisure time, our friendships and and, and relationships and rest and holidays and, and everything we do in such a way that honors Christ and is influenced by the fact that we know that a new day is coming, that a truer reality is coming, that that a fuller life is on the horizon for us. Let me give you an example. An example I've already mentioned at the beginning that Jesus already talked about in this chapter. If we know that Jesus is coming back and he's bringing the fulfillment of his kingdom and that life is going to be fuller and truer and richer for us then, then we will have balance and measuredness in our life when it comes to money, right? We can live out Jesus' teaching about money because we know that this life is temporary. Not to say it doesn't matter, it matters immensely, but we know that it's not the be-all and end-all. If we believe that Jesus is coming back at any moment, we can live out what the Bible teaches about wealth and money. So we won't be greedy, and go after wealth and comfort like that is the be-all and end-all. And on the other hand, we won't be anxious and full of worry when we don't have enough or, or as much as we think we need. Because we know that money won't last, that material comfort is temporary, and our future is a future of rest and feasting with our master. For now, until that day comes, we can live in the example of Jesus, not just when it comes to our money, but in every area of our lives, never taking a day off from being a Christian, simply trusting his teaching. Yeah, I, I know the world might tell me this, but my master's coming back, and so I'm pretty content living the way he tells me to right now. We are to be ready like waiting servants. We are to be ready like watchful homeowners. And then thirdly, Jesus says, we are to be ready like wise stewards. This is third parable, our third teaching. In verses 41 to 44, we see this. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. I love, uh, I love Peter and I love because he has the question for me like, I need to, is this something I should take on board? <laughs> That's what Peter's saying here. He's like, Jesus, is this for like those guys or for us, for all of us? Who's this for? Are you talking to me, Jesus? And, and in Jesus' answer, Jesus doesn't necessarily come out and say, yes, Peter, you idiot, take this on board. He says, let me tell you more about this. And Jesus says, yes, this does matter, Peter. In fact, it matters to all disciples. And let me tell you why. If you are following Jesus, then this is for you too. And we need to hear his teaching. We need to pay heed to it. As we wait for the return of our Lord, we, his disciples, if you're a Christian, should be like the faithful and wise manager. The word manager here is the same as the word steward. It means manager, steward, caretaker, something like this. And the idea is that there is a a master who has given a steward, a manager, a caretaker, uh, put him in charge of all of his estate all his staff, all his assets. 
And the thing that we need to notice about that is that it's not our household. It's not our estate. The resources in our lives, like time and money and relationships, are not ours, but are given to us by the Lord for us to have responsibility over and use well. And the picture is that of the manager, knowing his master is going to be gone for a while, knowing that he's been put in charge of these things, he's been given an incredible amount of freedom. Hey, you are in charge. Steward these things well. Now, there's a huge amount of freedom in that. He can, he can do whatever he wants. Freedom, yes, but responsibility. He is to feed the staff. He is to feed the people under his care. He is to manage the budgets well. He is to look after everything the master has given to him. All the people in the house and all the stuff in the house. And so the question, if we're applying this to us, which we should and need to do, the question we have to ask is, are we going to carry out the responsibilities Jesus has given us? Or to put it another way, if Jesus were to return today, how would he find you making use of the resources he has given you? Your money, your relationships, your influence. Time is one of the most precious resources that God has given us. We don't realize how limited it really is. And, and sadly, so often, we waste it, right? The amount of time I waste. And listen, this is not meant to be a guilt trip. Not at all. The Lord is trying to lead us to have this eternal perspective. A way of seeing life and the world in which we know that, that this is not all there is. That our real life hasn't even begun yet. And when we have that eternal perspective, we can live well. We can steward our time and money and friendships, managing and investing those resources in things that will last in the eternal kingdom. So what kind of manager do you want to be? Because you, you, you have been given stewardship of things. Maybe it's the business you own. Maybe it's your friendships, your children, your time, your money. What kind of steward are you going to be? Are you going to be wise? Will we use our time and money and relationships and influence well? Will we invest those things in the kingdom of God? Because Jesus gives another promise here. Look at verse 43. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. The master will reward this kind of wise and faithful steward by giving him responsibility over all his possessions. What does that mean? Well, Jesus is alluding to the Bible's teaching that when he returns, those who are found faithfully and wisely serving him will rule and reign over all creation with him. This is our reward. Not just to be served by the master, not just to be fed by the master, not just to sit at his table, but to rule and reign with him forever. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12 says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. When, when Jesus returns and finds us waiting and watching and wisely serving him, he will give us permanent access to the entirety of his kingdom. You understand? Like, I know we can't fully grasp it. Do you understand what I'm saying? When Jesus returns and finds us wisely waiting and watching for his return, he will give us permanent access to the entirety of his kingdom. This is going to be good beyond measure, beyond our thought. 
The reward and blessing we receive when Christ returns is far better than anything we can imagine. It is worth a life of wisely living for him now. 70 or 80 years of faithful service is a cheap price to pay for an eternity of blessing with Jesus, right? And our, our perspective is all messed up. We, 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 we think these 70, 80 years is a long time. But no, it's not. It's a, it's a blip. It's not even a blip. And usually when we, we fail to live wisely for him, it's because we are failing to grasp just how good eternity with him will be. You can't even begin to imagine how good it will be. It's better than the best thing you can ever imagine. Consider being served by the King of Kings. Consider, consider Jesus stepping off his throne and dressing himself for action and saying, come and recline at my table. Let me serve you this feast. Consider him raising you to a place of honor to rule and reign with him. The future is better than we can ever hope or imagine for those who are found ready and wisely watching and waiting for him. Now, of course, there's a warning in this as well, right? The end of the passage, Jesus says, those who disobey Jesus will be held accountable. Look at verses 45 to 48 with me. But if that servant says to himself, if the steward, if the guy that the master has put in charge over his household says to himself, my master is delayed in coming. He's probably not coming back anytime soon. I might as well have a good time. And he begins to beat the male and female servants. He's saying, well, maybe I'm in charge here, right? Maybe, I, maybe I'm the big boss here. And he's going to eat and drink. Instead of feeding them, the ones under his care, he's feeding, and drinking him, he's, he's feeding himself. And he's drinking and getting drunk. What happens? Well, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect and an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. That's a different one. And then he says, but the one who did not know and, and, and did, what, did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. See, Jesus has told us what will happen to, to the faithful steward. But what about the unfaithful ones? He mentions three types of unfaithful servants or unfaithful stewards here. Firstly is the, the false servant. This is the false disciple who lives without accountability. He doesn't care that the master might come back. He's ruled by his own sinful desires. He acts like he's in charge. He acts like he's the one who owns all of this. He can do whatever he wants with it. He's using the master's resources for his own indulgences and, and then for the oppression of others. He's using his money and time and influence only to better himself at the expense of others. Well, Jesus says, there is no place in the master's house for this person. And, and you might think, that's really harsh. Well, let me put it this way. How could there be? If, you, if we believe in heaven, I'm assuming that most of us do, even if you don't, if you believe in heaven, would you want to go there where people like this were allowed Jesus says he's cut into pieces. Now, this is, uh, this is saying, it's a figurative way of saying that he will be cut off. He will be separated. Separated from God with the unbelievers because he has shown that he never knew the master to begin with. 
If you're not a follower of Jesus, then this is a warning for, for you here. Trust in Jesus. Accept his teaching. Come into the blessing of the master. Then he says there's the, neg- the, ne- the negligent, that's a hard word to say, negligent servant. Verse 47. This is the servant who knows the master and knew full well that the master was coming back. And he was aware of what the master was asking him to do. He was aware that he had been put, uh, given all these responsibilities. But he didn't do it. Maybe he was too busy or too tired. Maybe his kids were driving him crazy. Maybe he was too focused on his career or his marriage or desire to be married or wherever it may be. This is the servant who lets the lamps burn out, right? The one who falls asleep, the one who wasn't watching and waiting for the master to return. He is a servant, but he's an unfaithful one. Now, this servant won't be cast out, but he will be disciplined. You see, he's still a servant. He's just not an obedient one. And the warning here is for Christians who are asleep, drifting through life. Maybe coming to church here and there, maybe having certain moral views about this, that, or the other, but without any hint in their hearts or actions that they actually belong to Jesus. We will all, all of us, give an account to Jesus for the actions of our lives, and so we need to stay awake. Maybe some of us need to wake up. Then in verse 48, Jesus gives us the example of the ignorant servant. This is the one who who fails to obey because they haven't been taught how to obey or what is required of them. These people will be less culpable. They will give an account, but they will be dealt with less severely. And Jesus sums up this warning with these words in verse 48. He says, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. Church, much has been given to us. Jesus is talking to us there. You know that? Much, if you're hearing this, and you're probably one of those people that much has been given to, we have the Old and New Testaments. We have faithful churches of brothers and sisters to encourage and equip each other. We have teachers. We have church history. We have been given resources like material wealth and time and money and knowledge. Much has been given to us. And Jesus says, that means much is going to be required of you. The warning is for us. If we know what we ought to do, the responsibility is to do it, to live for Jesus, to heed his words, to live out his teaching, to love others by putting their needs ahead of our own, to be generous with our resources and time and money and relationships, to be found faithfully serving him when he returns. So let's hear this message of Jesus this morning. Let's be ready. And the first step if you're not a believer, is to repent and believe in him. Maybe if you are a believer, you've got some stuff to repent of, but you're trusting him again. And if you have repented and believed in Jesus, then the next step is to pursue him and serve him. Let's ask ourselves, each of us, this week, what needs to change in our lives? What do we need to repent of? What areas do we need to grow in? You see, Jesus is a good and kind master. He lived and died and rose again so that when he returns, we won't be cut off from God, right? So that we can enter into the blessing, so that we can recline at the table, so that we can be fed and served by him, so that we can reign and rule with him. I'll be honest with you guys. I've been pushed hard by this passage this week. I've been really convicted that I don't consider Jesus' return and that there are areas in my life where I'm just asleep. I'm the sleeping servant. The lamps have gone out. 
But then, and that's, that's good, and I need that, right? And we all need that. But then, as the week went on, I began to see the, I began to see the grace in this message. Uh, and it was when I was talking to someone this week, it just dawned on me. See, there is grace in this message. And here's what I mean by that. The knowledge that Jesus is coming back, if we are ready for it, if we are believing that, if we're trusting him, that is a huge source of comfort. Because if we know that Jesus is coming back and he's coming to right all the wrongs and he's coming to bring justice to all the injustices and he's coming to bring us into that place of rest and feasting and blessing, you know what that means? It means that we can face whatever life brings our way with stability and measuredness and peace. It means that we don't get carried away with the good things in life or the pursuit of the good things in life. We enjoy them, of course, but we know that even the best things in life are a, a, a shadow, nothing compared to the good things that are coming our way. But it also means that the worst things in life, the things that cause us pain and worry and, and, and even the tragedies in our life, we realize that they're just temporary. And so we can, we can face them with, with peace and stability and measuredness. And one day when Jesus comes back, all that pain and grief and suffering and sorrow and worry and anxiety and whatever it may be will be replaced with peace and joy forever. See how there's grace in this message? Jesus is coming back. Let's look forward to his coming. Let's be like Abigail at the window. When is Nana coming? When is Jesus coming? You ready to open the door? Jesus coming back. Let's be waiting and watching him wise. Let me pray for us and then we'll stand to worship and we'll come to the Lord's table. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. Uh, Jesus, we want to thank you that you are coming back. We want to thank you that uh, in our deepest sorrows, in the, the tragedies we see around us in the, in the world, um, we know that there is an end to those things. We thank you that, 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 that your return means that evil and wrongdoing will end. The suffering will end. We thank you for that. And Lord, as we look forward to that, we want to prepare our hearts. Lord, we want to be ready. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would, uh, by your Holy Spirit, just convict us of the areas in our lives that we're asleep. Um, and dare I say it, maybe the areas that we're like the unfaithful steward who is using your resources to our own advantage. Lord, I pray that you would show us those areas in our lives. You would help us to see where we need to repent and wake, our, wake up again. Um, Lord, when you return, it could even be before I finish this prayer, may you find us uh, faithfully trusting you, looking forward to your return. Comfort us with these words, Lord. Your goodness is coming. Uh, help us be ready. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, we're gonna stand and sing, but we're also gonna come to the Lord's table and take communion like we do every Sunday.